Hello, this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Amen. Thanks, Pastor, uh, for letting us be here. What an exciting day. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm thrilled for the opportunity to be with you. Uh, I don't have COVID, I promise. This is my voice 24-7 because I had the happy experience of getting burned when I was seven. Yay. It was awesome. And uh, I was in my backyard. I was playing around with some fire, and it, uh, it was an enlightening experience. Uh, it truly was. Everything changed uh, in that moment. So uh, my family's here. This is my, my wife, Shireen, and she has history here in Pagosa. Her dad was the pastor uh, many, many years ago. And uh, she has memories all over town. She's been telling us all about those and you. So um, I'm watching you. And uh, this is my son, Gabriel. He was on the men's retreat. And all the men that are here, thank you. You guys are amazing. You are my friends, and I love you. Um, My daughter's downstairs, and she's uh, talking with the kids this morning. But we're missionaries, and we're evangelists, and we just love Jesus and try and do everything we can to encourage his kingdom. Uh, but this morning, I, it is my privilege to spend time with you and share the story of how God rescued me. And as I said, I was burned when I was seven, and everything kind of changed. So we do evangelism. We travel around, and we go to churches all over the country, and inevitably, somebody sings a song about, Lord, let your fire fall down. And I'm like, Lord, let me know, because I'm going to move, you know? Once was enough, you know? People are like, oh, God, set me on fire. I'm like, you have no idea what you're asking for. You know, it's just. And then after we, we minister, a lot of times we'll go out to eat, you know, and, and we'll sit down and, and they come by with this sizzling, beautiful piece of savory meat or whatever on the tray. And, and everybody's like, oh, that smells delicious. And I'm like, I feel you, my brother. I mean, it's just the way, it's just the way it, it is. It's just the way it is. We go overseas and we do ministry in crazy places. I do exploration. So my joy is to go where nobody's ever been before and tell them about Jesus. And uh, inevitably, we wind up in some crazy circumstances. I was in the Congo, and uh, we wound up working with uh, pygmies, which are, they're adorable. Humans, this tall, all of them. They're awesome. You can bend down and give hugs, and it's just cool. Um, but we were, we were finishing our service, and the, the interpreter came up and said, we probably ought to hurry. And I was like, why? And he said, because there's cannibals coming, like legit cannibals. I'm like, okay. Well, we finished the service anyway, and uh, we left in peace. And somebody asked me, man, weren't, weren't you scared? I was like, no, not really. And they were like, well, why not? How are you so confident? I was like, well, as I understand it, cannibals like their meat rare. And I'm well done. So, I mean, I could see it cause some confusion when I go see Jesus and he's like, well done. I'll be like, look, can I come in? It's crazy. But it all started when I was a little kid. I was in my backyard. And I was playing with, with, ga- with firecrackers. It was three days before Christmas in southern Louisiana. And I was like, bang, it was awesome. There was no frog or cricket that was safe. 
If I could catch them, I was trying to attach explosives to them. I was 100% boy. And everything was going along smashingly until I ran out of matches. Oh, no. I looked down, and in my hand was still a bunch of fireworks. I was like, I need more fire. So I ran into the house. My mom was there making cookies for a Christmas ordeal we were going to have. I say it was an ordeal because the family was coming together. I don't know how it is in your household, but I'm in a family of preachers. And we come together, and it's crazy sauce. Because we sit around the table, and inevitably somebody throws some kind of doctrinal theological bombshell right in the middle. And it's on like donkey. It's just that way. So she was making cookies, getting ready for the thing that was going to be at the thing at the, at the place, right? You all understood that, I'm certain. And uh, I ran in. I was like, Mom, I need some more matches. She's like, go look at my purse. So I did. I went and opened it up. This was back in the 80s when women carried cargo containers instead of small clutches. And they were dangerous. Uh, they were very dangerous places to go. Men, listen to me. If you hear nothing else from this morning's message, just don't go into the wife's purse. Leave it alone. It's this magical, crazy place where you can put something in there, and a minute later, it's gone. You don't know where it went, but it's not there until you don't need it anymore. And then it's right there. Oh, I found it. No, that, that moment's gone. That's how the purse works. And the size of an object that you can put in there is in no way proportional to the purse. Okay? You can put something in there, and like, here's the car. It goes in the purse. I rummaged around in there. I'm looking for matches. I pull out a little kid. Whoa, go home, Timmy. Your parents are worried. <laughs> you find out he's been living on stale trident down in the bottom of the purse, right? I rummage around, finally come up with a book of matches. Yes, I run outside and I open it up and inside is one more match. I'm like, man, I still need more fire. I looked around and on the back porch was a gallon of gasoline. And so I poured the entirety of its contents into a stainless steel bowl and I lit it. Boy, the fire jumped up. I threw the fireworks in there. I wasn't thinking well, right? But they didn't do anything. They just got wet from the gasoline, but this fire was getting bigger every second. So the first thing I tried to do was spray it with water. Does anybody know what happens when you spray a gas fire with water? Could have used your help, buddy. I didn't know. I mean, I spray, it was like, I'm spraying it. It's spreading around. I got my own little lake of fire in the backyard. There's like weeping and gnashing of teeth among crickets and grasshoppers alike, you know? And I'm like, man, I got to get this fire out because I feel my spanking getting worse. I, you know, my dad believed in corporal punishment and I was in full on disobedience at this moment. I needed to get this fire out and I was raking my brain. How do I do it? And I remember seeing it on a television program one time where somebody taking a blanket and beat the fire off of something else. I said, well, that's what I need. So I run into the house. I run past the kitchen into the laundry room. Okay, blanket, blanket, blanket. There's no blanket. There's a broom. They both start with B. Maybe it'll work. I grab the broom. I run outside. I hit the bowl. And when I hit the bowl, I hit it on the closest side, and it flipped up towards my face. I saw it coming because you tend to notice things like that. Dump trucks, fireballs headed for your cranium tend to draw your attention. And I gasped. <gasps> and when I did, gas and fire shot down my throat and into my lungs and splashed on my chest and my face and my arms. And I began to burn. I didn't think to stop, drop, and roll. It never crossed my mind. I just thought to run. So I ran in this huge arc in my backyard. 
hoping somebody would notice. We lived in a neighborhood where everybody's house was kind of up against everybody's house. And I just hoped somebody would notice. We lived in southern Louisiana and we're surrounded by Cajuns, you know. It's not every day you see a little four-foot kid with four feet of flames coming off his head running around in his backyard. If you do see that every day, I recommend you move. It's dangerous. <laughs> I can imagine old Cajun sitting on his back porch. Aye, oh, look, there go little Mikey on fire. <laughs> you better run, boy. That fire still got the hot on you. Ha! Nobody noticed. <laughs> I ran into the house. I'm like, Mom. She's like, Ugh. I'm like, I know. She throws a towel on me. It suffocates the fire with her own body. By this time, the gas had burned off, and it was me burning. She said, baby, we got to get you to the hospital. She reached out, grabbed my arm, and pulled, and it stripped. It all came off. She slung me onto the floor. She said, baby, I can't touch you. Go get in the car. I ran out the front door. I was afforded two choices in vehicular transportation. My dad was a small-town pastor, loved Jesus, didn't make a lot. So we had an appropriate car for such a station. It was like a 1900-ish Oldsmobile land boat yacht car. My mom had a friend over helping her make cookies, and this lady drove a Mustang. And I thought, well, that's more expedient. So I got in the back seat of the Mustang. Much to my dismay, my mom got in the driver's side. <laughs> Now, look, I'm not going to say women are bad drivers because it's not true, number one. And number two, I don't want to get hurt, okay? <laughs> the last thing I need is another scar, okay? But I am going to say, listen, ladies, hear me out. In a crisis situation, you are emotional creatures. You are not thinking strength, okay? She was doing 100 miles an hour around 90 degrees turns. This is not physically possible. <laughs> I'm in the back seat. I got a hand on this headrest, a hand on this headrest, slipping around on my own skin. It was slick as could be, going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It wasn't because of the pain. It was because of her driving. I thought, this is great. I made it through a fire. I'm going to get killed in a car wreck. This is officially not my day. I want you to say something with me if you don't mind. God knows where I am. God knows what I need, and God knows when I need it. So I was in the back seat of that car. They don't make words for me to tell you how bad it hurt. To use a small word to describe the anguish, the horror, it's inappropriate. The levels of pain were unimaginable. And I knew I was dying. And I remembered some precious Sunday school teacher, brave enough to deal with toddlers, right? Gray-headed with a bun, yeah? If you're ever in trouble, call on Jesus. So simple. I knew I was in trouble. And I didn't have some kind of flowery prayer, sister. It wasn't like, oh, Lord, my God, in this my hour of great need, do I beseech thee that in thy mercy I might bestow kindness upon thy servant? No. <laughs> That's not what I had. I had Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
I tell you the truth, the Lord heard the humble cry of a scared kid. And he answered. Because in the backseat of the car, I tell, all I'm going to do is tell you the truth today. You can deal with it however you want. In the backseat of the car, all at once, the Holy Spirit filled me. I was seven. I started speaking in tongues. I'd never done such a thing. Nobody was there coaching me, right? Nobody was like, hold on, hold on, let go, let go. Nobody was there going, okay, brother, repeat after me. Untie my bow tie, who stole my Honda? <laughs> it was just me, a crisis in Christ. And he answered with the Holy Ghost. And on the, on the arrival of such a, a profound presence of God, my pain submitted, and it calmed. We got to the hospital by the grace of God. Went inside. They threw me into the coldest tub of water you can imagine. It was like three-quarters ice and quarter water. It was like polar bear club level stuff. I was freezing. It would have been okay if I had skin or clothes, but both had been recently removed in a fire, right? <laughs> and I was freezing. <laughs> they were trying to pull the polyester shirt out of my muscles where it had melted in, just stripping it. My dad had gotten the call at the church. Your son's been injured. So he came to the hospital. He knew the way. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't a bad kid, I would say. Nobody ever says they're, they're a bad kid, I guess. But I will say that I was active. I was an active child. And I had visited the hospital with my dad before, many times. He walked in and he, he walked past my room, unwilling or unable to recognize me, his own son. He turned and came back in and he stood at the end of that tub and he just shook his head. And I wondered what was going through his mind. What would go through your mind as a parent to look down on your dreams dying in front of you? You know, it became so real to me when I had children of my own. You know, I would hold them. When they wouldn't sleep in the evening, that was my shift. I, I, I love insomnia, so Shereen would rest and I would go take care of kiddos. I'd walk around and I'd sing to them. I'd love on them and I'd be like, you know, maybe they're going to be super important one day. Maybe they're going to cure something. Maybe they'll invent a new thing. Maybe they'll be great at sports. Never once did I look at my child and say, maybe they'll be a victim of a tragedy. I would never wish harm on my baby. It goes against everything it means to be a parent to subject your child to pain and suffering. As, as a matter of fact, if anyone comes after my kids, I'm going to start a prison ministry. Because I will go to jail for them. I love them. I will lay hands on that aggressor suddenly and repeatedly in Jesus' name. But I need to set your heart free today. I need to liberate your mind. 
Maybe Mary and Joseph. Darwin are asleep. It's been a long day, right? She's gone through labor. Baby's born. They're in this setting, whatever it is, cave, barn, basement, whatever. I wasn't there. What if, for a second, God the Father came from heaven to pick up his only son? What would he say? My son, the conqueror of Rome. My son, the rich, rich ruler. No. My son, the most popular religious leader of the day. No. He would look on a face that huh, somehow would remind him of himself. And he would say, my son, the sacrifice. With a swell of pride, he would release his child to die for all of us. And some people don't think God loves them. And I feel like I could speak on behalf of the Lord and say, what else does he have to do? He would say, I gave you my son. What else do you want? How could I possibly show you more tangibly how much I love you. The Bible says no greater love has someone than that they would lay down their life for another. Jesus did just that by the design of God. Miracles. They didn't know what to do with me at that small town hospital. The swelling was going out of control. My eyes were swelling shut. My nose was swelling shut. My gums were swelling over my teeth. My throat, no one knew, was melted together and it was sealing. It was a small town coming to Louisiana, and so they threw me in an ambulance and sent me across the Long Bridge to New Orleans. And a few minutes into the journey, I died. I passed away. Everything shut down. The instruments bore witness to my death. My mom was in the back of the ambulance. My dad was in the front. They were both praying. My mom said, sir, there was no other worker than the, the driver. Or, sir, my son, my son is dying. My son, my son is dying. He said, ma'am, what do you want me to do? And he drove hard. For the next 40 minutes, I was a corpse in the back of an ambulance. We got to the hospital, Auctioner's Hospital in New Orleans. They threw up in the back of the van. They took a look and said, he's gone. Ligature had already started. My blood was starting to settle. They pulled me out for the sake of saying they tried. They brought me in and intubated, shoved a tube down my throat to begin recessive technique. But I tell you the truth, before they ever put a compression to my chest, as soon as that tube breached the melt in my neck, I breathed as if God had simply put my life on pause. Miracles.
Miracles. The burns were terrible. They had eaten past all my flesh and found their way to my muscles. And they had to keep them clean because infection was the enemy. So every day they would take my body raw and they would put it into bleach. And they would scrub it with steel wool and wire brushes until they peeled away all the skin and scabs that were damaged to try and fight infection. I remember that place very well. There were several tubs in a line. They had other kids that were burned there. The other children, they weren't even burned as badly as I was, and they would rage, and they would scream, and they would fight these caregivers, big dudes that would put effort in to try and hold these children down. All the while, they're getting hit with morphine to try and calm them. My veins had all begun to collapse because of extreme blood loss. As a result, I could take no pain medication at all not even a Tylenol for fear of weakening my system. So they would set me into that tub and they would begin to scrub. And I would take the brush from them, their hands later on and I would even scrub my own wound. They went to my parents and they said, what's different? What's different about your son? These other children, they rage at us, they curse us. Your son plays with us. What's different? And all we could say was Jesus, 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 Jesus. Miracles. Four more times I died in the hospital. They gave me a tracheotomy, a tube that is inserted into your neck to bypass upper respiratory issues, straight shot to your lungs. They gave me a trach. As the swelling would begin to recede, they would take it out. And four more times, I lost my life to suffocation. Four more times, God was merciful. On one of those occasions, the nurse came in at our orders, snipped the cord that held the trach in place, pulled the trach out. My eyes rolled back into my head. She walked out. My mom said, he's not breathing. She goes, honey, he's just got to learn to breathe again. They had no clue there was obstruction. She left and I passed. My mom ran out the door in terror and shock and hysteria. She ran right past the nurse's station. There was a woman in, in nice clothing getting onto an elevator and she ran up and grabbed her by the arm. She said, my son is dying. The woman said, where? They ran down the hall and around a corner again together into the room. The woman took one look and said, he's gone. Turned and started barking orders at the nurse's station. You get a crash cart, you get a defibrillator, you get me an intubation tube, you get it now. And they went through the techniques to save my life. And it was returned to me. My mom didn't know what was going on. She left the room. She found a corner and she dropped down. She said, God, I guess you wanted him more than I did. And after a while, she felt a hand on her shoulder. She looked up. It was the woman that was getting onto the elevator. The woman studied her face, and she said, I guess someone wants your son to live. My mom said, he's alive? She said, yes. 
He said, but you need to understand something. I'm the only one in this hospital system that could have made the calls that were necessary today to save your son's life. She said, furthermore, my office is on the first floor. We run about the seventh. She said, I have no reason to be up here. I don't know why I came up here. And if I hadn't been up here, we could not have saved your son. She shook her head and she said, someone wants your son to live. Miracles, friends. One after another. It wasn't easy on my parents. They would be losing their son one moment, then hopefully thinking I'm going to make it the next. There was no confidence. There was a corner room where you could look out one window one way, one window the other. My parents confessed to me. God bless them. They stood in the windows, one in each window, one of them praying, God, take my son. No one should have to live this. And the other one praying, God, don't you dare take my boy, please. Friends, the conflict, the conflict was so real. It was so horrible. It was the darkest place you can imagine. I was sealed up. My, my eyes were swollen shut. I could feel no, nothing but pain. I could take in no other senses. No hearing, no sight, no smell, no taste. My days were measured in suffering because when it was daytime, it was more intense. People were there to hurt me. When it was nighttime, it was calmer. And during that time, they said, your, your brain's going to break. But though my spiritual, my physical eyes were closed, my spiritual eyes were allowed to see a bit. And I tell you the truth, angels even came and they, they comforted me. They were pulling me out of a, a scrub room one day, my parents hadn't heard from me for over a month and a half. Not a word. They're pulling me out. My mom would meet me there at the door of my father every single day. They were pulling me out. And I just croaked out. They were praying so hard for me. I just croaked out, Mom. They hadn't heard a word from me. They said, she said, stop the... Stop the Stop the bed. Hold on. What, what baby? What baby? I said, Mom, do you know I haven't died? She said, I don't. I said, there's angels here with me. And I slipped straight back in. They had nothing else. Such a time, friend. Such a time. We live this thing, and, and there's moments that are so hard. I want to help you today. I want to build faith in you, true faith. I want to build a faith in you that's going to persist, even in the face of suffering and difficulty, even in the face of hell. I want to give you a faith that's going to endure. And the first thing I want to give you of that faith is a foundation, something to stand on. 
I know this is a different sermon than you've heard before. It's a testimony. It is an object lesson of the reality of God's faithfulness, Darwin. And I can't help but share it. But where I stand now, these things govern my beliefs because of what I have seen and what I know and what I've come to understand. The foundational place I stand is this. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Mikey, why is that important? You're a burn dude. You're sharing a story. Why is that important? Because, friend, this, this verse is pivotal when it comes to the conflict for our life. This verse says, if God is with you, if God is for you, then there is nothing that can come against you which is stronger, faster, possessing more power or skill than your God. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That question goes unanswered because God even confesses of himself, to me there is no equal. There is none beside me. There is none above me. There's none even remotely close. Who can compare to me, he says. There is no God like me. Our God is the apex of authority and power. Our God is the apex of creation and all that is. By him and through him is everything held together. So when you are standing, even in the midst of conflict, but you are standing with him, he is confessing here that I will stand with you and you will not be defeated. All of hell itself could empty and come against you. But if your God is with you, God the Father, the Father that we have come to love and adore and whom sent his Son to die for us, who has become our Savior, if we are standing with him, there is nothing that can overwhelm and overcome him. And we can be confident that his, his way is going to prevail. You say, you're kind of an idiot, Mikey. You're burned. You're dying. You're suffering. You've confessed yourself the pain is intense. Yes. I had lost so much blood, they couldn't even put, in, put give me food. They had to cut into my ankles to find a vein to give me fluids. My ankles are trash. You were in the middle of that, man. How can you possibly say? Nothing was winning. Well, friend, I'm telling you the story now. <laughs> Miracles. One of the hard moments. As the swelling receded and it became apparent I was going to live, I wanted to see what I was dealing with. They had to graft me. Grafting is not cool. That's where they take skin from something else and they put it on you to cover wounds that can't grow its own skin. Yeah, kind of nasty, truly. It's, it's just gross. And they gave me some options. The first option they gave me was pig skin, which I could get into a sermon about how odd it is, Lisa, that our closest epidermal match is swine. That's weird. I will say that I decided against pigskin because I like pork rinds. 
I can see driving down the road one day getting hungry. That arm start looking pretty good. So I didn't do that. The other options they gave me were my thighs or a more southern region. My, my bumper. And I thought about that. Having my bumper on my grill. <laughs> Can you imagine being guilty of indecent exposure every time you smiled? Somebody's like, you're a butthead. Yes, I am. I finally decided against my bumper on my grill because I wanted to get married. And I would ultimately want to kiss my wife, and that would be awkward. You'll catch up. So I went with my thighs. My leg is on my face. It's true. I got up this morning, shaved my leg. It happened. I was, we were freshly married. I was driving down the road. I told my wife a joke. I like to laugh. She slapped me. I was like, what was that for? She goes, it was a knee slapper, get it? <laughs> Lord help us. You're like, Mikey, it was bad, dude. Things were harsh. How can you say you weren't overcome? No, the foundation of my God, it never faltered. He never abandoned in all of that moment. If God was for me, what could be against me? We got to the moment where it said, I guess you're going to live. I wanted to see myself. I'm like, please, let me see. They wouldn't give me a mirror. So one evening when they didn't realize I could walk, I got up and I walked to the restroom. I looked in the mirror. And I didn't know who was looking back at me. I didn't recognize him at all. My voice was a different voice. My face was a different face. I've never seen the kid that I left in the mirror the morning of my burn ever again. He died. And I was starting from scratch. And as I stood there, God had to supernaturally put an arm around my heart and just say, son, we're going to make it together. I looked and I said, I guess that's what you want it to be. And I accepted who I was going to become. The doctor called me in his office. He's like, Mike, I want to encourage you before we let you go. It had been several months. I was going to get to go home. And I could use some encouragement. I'd seen terrible things. The kids in the bed next to me, one of them was named Tony. He was too close to a radiator. It exploded, blew his chest open. All he had was a piece of plastic covering him. I could watch his insides work. He died. I saw a lot of kids die. Went to the playroom when I could. There was one kid I, I played games with. I didn't see him for a while. When he came back, both of his arms were cut off because of gangrene. And he said, I can't play anymore. Can I watch you play? Hard things. I'd seen parents unwilling, unable to deal with what was going on just get totally hammered and get lost in their sauce and come in unable to support their child at all to recover. I'd watched all this. I could use the encouragement. The doctor brought me and sent me down. He said, Mikey, you're never going to be normal. You're never going to fit in. You're going to have that trach the rest of your life. You'll never speak. Your lungs, 
are half destroyed. You're not going to be athletic. Walking from the handicapped space of a store to its front door could cost you your life. You're probably going to be embarrassed to be out in public because people are unkind. You'll want to stay home. I just want you to know that's okay. You're alive. Well, thanks, Doc. I'm ready to take on the world. Woo! Party? No. He had no hope. None. But friend, I'm going to tell you, I had already seen God do miracles. I had already seen him bless this moment. I had already come to know that he was with me. And I refused. I refused to accept the doom that man was going to lay on me. I chose instead to accept that my God is able to do something else. I chose instead to believe who he said he was. Because in the scripture, it confesses our next anchor point of faith. The first thing you've got to have is that anchor point of saying, if my God is with me, there's nothing that's going to hit me that's bigger, stronger, faster, possessing more power or prowess than him. Number two, he's got a plan. He's got a plan. Not only is he strong and he able, he's got a plan to deal with where I'm at. The scripture says this, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him, to those that are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, such a famous verse. Even if you haven't been in church much, you've heard God causes all things to work together for good. Okay, you might think that's easy. But I'm telling you truly, from my perspective, from my position, from my suffering, from my difficulty, it's accurate. It's accurate. He put his hands into the middle of my mess and started working out something beautiful. I came home. I went to church. I was bald. I was skin bald because all of the hair, all the follicles were melted together. I went to church as soon as I could. I still had masks holding everything together. There were still staples in my face. I ran up to the altar as soon as I could after the service. My dad had preached. It was a good message. I don't remember what it was, but he was a good dude. I got to the altar and I started praying and I felt people come up and start praying for me. And I felt the power of God move. And it was like, I was like, yes, I've been healed. I got up and, and made my way back to the restroom, and I was like, this is over. This is done. I'm sure he has fixed this. He's going to have a baby smooth skin face underneath these bandages. This nightmare is gone. I can act like it never happened. We can put to bed these last four months and just be finished. It's going to be great. I'll get past all the memories. It's going to be wonderful. I got into the restroom. I started tearing the bandages off that were still holding me together. And when I got the last ones off, I looked and there was the same face. I hung my head and I said, God, I don't understand. I felt you. My parents came in behind. They said, thank you, Jesus. I said, what are we thanking him for? He said, baby, look at your head. In a morning's time, a quarter inch of hair had punched through every, every inch of my scalp giving me a covering, 
Miracles. Miracles. Giving me what I needed, not always what I wanted, but what would fashion out a good route through my troubles. His plan. I determined I, I didn't want to hide. I didn't want to stay at home. I would never let my parents park in the handicapped spaces. It was annoying. I refused to be defined that way. I refused. I did not believe that God rescued me from the hospital to go out and be a victim. And so I would, I would walk further. I went to public school. I didn't want to hide. I went to public school every single day. My experience was people would look at me. They would call me names. I've been called everything you can imagine having to do with boiled, broiled, fried, sauteed, baked, or barbecued. I was told daily, you are ugly and we wish you would have died so we didn't have to see you. This was my experience through elementary, junior high, into high school. After a particularly hard day, I came home and I determined I didn't want to live anymore. Even after all that God had done, can I tell you there are dark moments and there are sufferings? We still have to lean into Christ. And we still have our struggles. I came home. I determined I didn't want to live anymore. I took a 44 Magnum pistol. I sat on my bed. I put the barrel to my head and I said, God, I am sorry. I am worthless. I started squeezing. I didn't know what to expect. And the sound is nothing. But I was pulling. And God spoke to me. He said, Mikey. He said, Mikey. I can't be athletic. I have nothing to give you, God. Nothing. I am the definition of worthless. How can you disagree? He said, Mikey. In all of heaven, there was nothing more precious to me and my boy. He said, in all my power, son, I couldn't have created something more valuable than my son. You're not worthless to me. You're worth everything. It's hard to receive. But I had to accept the confession of God's love rather than the opinion of my fellow man. Because I am not defined by you. I am defined by him. And some of you would say, man, 
I've been called this. I've had so many evils spoken over me. I've been told I'm worthless. I've been told that I've got nothing to offer. I'll never amount to anything. That I'm a waste of the carbon it takes to put me together. Well, I speak truth into you today. I speak on behalf of heaven and I say, I disagree. You were put together, fashioned and ordained for a relationship with God and he loves you so much. You say, I have nothing to offer. Friend, you have a heart. You have affection. You have worship and it's all he asks. He doesn't even ask you to sing good. Thank God. You are loved so much. I rebuke those lies in the name of Jesus. As an emissary from the throne of God, I rebuke those lies that people have sown into you. And I say, believe it no longer. You are precious and you are valued and you are loved. I still had a trach. My lungs were still jacked up. But I started lifting weights. Started playing football. God was good. He, he blessed. He said I'd never be athletic. Played ball, won a scholarship to college. Played in college. I hit people really, really hard. It's like, boom. Jesus can heal your broken body. It's just awesome. I'd gotten my bench press up to about 450. I got my leg press up to 1,200 pounds. It was awesome. I hit people really hard. I had that trach still, though, and it was a threat because it was a direct line to my lungs. They tried everything to remove it. One of the operations they tried was to cut my vocal cords out. They said, you're never going to speak again. I said, with or without vocal cords, I'm going to preach. They cut my vocal cords out. Two weeks later, I was making noise. This shouldn't be. So they bring me in. They set me in the chair. They take a long tube with a camera on the end of it and shove it up my nose to look in my throat. I always thought that was weird when my mouth is right here. If the most efficient way to my throat is my nose, why don't we snort our food? <laughs> Hello. The doctor takes a look into the camera and he just falls back into the chair and he shakes his head. And I said, <laughs> which translated is, excuse me, doctor, what's wrong? <laughs> my parents were in attendance. He said, can you look in there and tell me what you see? They said, sure. They take the camera. They look. They say, we, what are we supposed to see? He goes, no, just show me what you do see. He said, I see, I see two things doing this. He said, that's what I thought you'd see. I cut those out two weeks ago. Get out of my office. He didn't want to work on me anymore. And I, I can't really blame him as a surgeon. If stuff you cut out comes back, that's counterproductive. Honestly. Honestly. 
how many of you know that when the Christians, folks that have been in the ride a little while, how many of you know that when difficulties come and you trust God, a lot of times on the other side of it, you have more than you had in the beginning? You know, he blesses through things, right? I wonder if you can imagine being 12 years old and having this at your disposal. I've found it to be a wonderful witnessing tool in dark alleys around midnight. Would you like to meet Jesus? Yes. Yes, right now. Jesus. Miracles, man. Everything that was told to me would be impossible. Everything that was told to me would be of no hope. Everything was overcome by my master. He said you'd struggle in relationships, that things would be impossible. And God led me to my incredible wife, gave us children. Every aspect of my suffering was met with kindness from my God. See, Mike, you're still jacked up. Your voice is still garbage. Your face is still messed up. You still draw attention. You still got issues, dude. You breathe heavy. You should, you should have heard me on the mountain. Is that a, is that a windstorm coming through? <gasps> Flipping snowmobiles. So bad at it. It's terrible. I rolled more snowmobiles than a Tootsie Roll factory rolls chocolate in a wrapper. Horrible. I still got my stuff. But God has brought me to a place where I confess this to you honestly. I would not change a moment. I'm thankful for every oddity, for every, every ache and every pain. You know, you may look and say, man, you look like you've been through a lot. Those are images of tragedy, right? Not to me. Not to me. Not anymore. For me, they're a signature. It says Jesus was here. Because without my Christ, without his involvement in this mess, I could not be alive. And the scripture paints such a beautiful picture. I want you to imagine that you're burned. You're, I want you to imagine you've gone through some things. You've had cancer. I had a 22-inch tumor come up in my chest. Lymphoma from the treatments they gave me during my burn treatments, we found it two months after marrying. God saw us through it. I've had malaria, I've had sleeping sickness, I've had a West African sleeping sickness while working in East Africa, because that's just how I roll. <laughs> I've had animals and people attempt to eat me. 
And in every circumstance, I have found God to be faithful. I found him to be incredibly consistent with his love and his attendance and him having a plan for my mess. Imagine that you've walked that road, and I want you to hear what my heart honestly confesses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or famine or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long, considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced, I'm sure. Neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing, nor burns, nor cancer, nor loneliness, nor depression, nor suffering, nor marital conflict, nor family issues, nor financial troubles. No created thing can separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I have fully tested this bond I railed against it with my ignorance, my actions, and my circumstances, and I have found him to be utterly faithful. See, we've heard stories like this before, or at least sermons, and I would say you've never heard it from me, because I stand before you healed. No matter what you see woven into the fabric of my skin, Underneath it rests a heart that is content, that is at peace, and that has joy. And I want that for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and the opportunity to be together. Please, Lord God, reveal yourself, if you will, through your servant, to these that are present, and reveal yourself to be loving and faithful. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.